I'm not as young as I used to be, which means I can't treat my body the way I once did. In fact, last year's medical checkup didn't turn out the best, so I decided I needed to change things up and start eating healthier. One of the ways I do that is by making smoothies. But smoothie shop prices can be pretty high, and making them at home always seem like a pain. You gotta pull the blender out, find the right attachments, set everything up, and then cleaning everything is annoying, making it difficult to quickly whip up a breakfast smoothie in the morning. That's why I'm glad to tell you about the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Like I said, it's portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. That's especially important to me because I wake up before the rest of my family, and once my kids are up, my morning work routine is pretty much shot to hell. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. BlendJet 2 has over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, so if you don't like one design, there's definitely one that suits your personality. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use my promo code, SuperCinemaPod12, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use my code, SuperCinemaPod12, that's SuperCinemaPod and the number's 1-2, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and welcoming today a new guest and a fellow writer, and that is Frank Martin. Frank, how are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, so uh, why don't you tell the guest, the audience, I should say, a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm a writer, and I don't really specify that because I write a little bit of everything. Uh, novels, short stories, uh, write a lot of comics. Currently, I, I bounce all over the place, but currently I am doing my first romantic comedy, like a sex comedy. It's live on Kickstarter, but I love everything. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, crime. I'm just a lover of writing and stories, so storytelling is my jam. Uh, is there anything in particular you'd like to tell the audience about? Anything that they may have heard of? Uh, anything that I've written? I mean, I've written a whole bunch of stuff. My Modern Testament was my first series. It was kind of an anthology series focused on urban fantasy, biblical mythology. But I've done The Last Homicide, which was crime noir, The Polar Paradox, which is sci-fi adventure. And now I'm venturing into kind of the comedic area with, with Sex Night, which is the, the sex comedy book I have now. Okay, awesome, cool. Yeah, I'm a urban fantasy author myself. Um, just got, uh, in fact, my my latest one is about to be published. Uh, probably in, by the end of this month is uh, what we're looking at for that. Oh, uh, congrats! Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's number thirty one now. I think or, I'm not sure. I lo- lose count. <laughs> <laughs> no, they just they all blend <laughs> yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, uh, so, you know, this is a movie about, this is a show about superhero movies. So how did you get interested in superheroes? Um, I think like most kids, we kind of were spoon fed superheroes cause they were, they were light and fun and fantastical, but, uh, yeah, as you, as you get older, uh, that love of superheroes sticks with you, but you realize they're so multidimensional. There's just not one. There's not that kitty aspect of the Spider-Man cartoons that you love growing up. Uh, there's dark superheroes. There's uh, hopeful superheroes. There's character-driven superheroes. There's romantic superheroes. So understanding all of that is 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 important to loving the genre that I've kind of carried through. Yeah, I think that's all well said. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I've really liked about doing this show is is going back and and uh, seeing all the different types of flavors uh, of superhero stuff that's out there. And it's and it's why I still love all of them, right? I, you know, from you know stuff is you know as quintessentially superhero as like Superman or Spider Man to the stuff that's more off the beaten path, like Wolverine or the Punisher or and and anything and everything in between those. We were talking about multi-dimensional superheroes. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, you know, I, I like all of them in between. I if whether it's um the the ones that are the dark ones, the the bright ones, it it's it's all it's all fun for me to explore. And I've written all the type different types too. It's a lot of fun to do to dip my toes into all those different I mean, waters. Superhero is such a big word, you know, encompasses so much. And you mm-hmm. don't think traditionally of superheroes, but I mean, we're going to talk about this later. But Power Power Rangers are superheroes mm. and that's a totally different genre than marvel comics Absolutely. i'm in the middle of watching um going through all the john wick movies with with my son and can you make an argument that john wick is a superhero i mean watching these films he's superly doing certainly doing like superhero things mm. it's just it the, the definition is very loose and i it and is fluid and i like that well, yeah, I mean, uh, you could think of, um, you know, I was a big Buffy fan back in the day and Ooh, yes. you know, in a lot of ways, you know, it, yeah, it's, uh, you know, urban fantasy, but it's also very much a superhero story. She's got a secret identity. She's got superpowers. It's, it's, it's very much in that vein. And um, who was it? That Supreme Court justice. I think it was Wendell Holmes. I might get the re- name wrong, but when he was talking about pornography, he says, I don't know what it is. I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. I think that's kind of the same thing with superheroes. I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. And there's a yeah. lot of stuff that if you show it to me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's superhero. I'm like, well, why? I'm like, it, it just is. It just is. So my I mean, we could get into this. You're going to I know you wanted to talk about things that I'm into right now, but I'm going through mm-hmm. all of the my, my son is on a big spy thriller kick. So we're going through the Bourne movies and the, the Mission Impossible movies. Now we're on kind of like John Wick, I guess, action but uh, John Wick, I brought up as a possible superhero. But I think of like mm. Jason Bourne. The tone of those stories is inherently different. Yes, Jason Bourne does ridiculous things. He survives ridiculous car crashes. But I don't know if I would call him a superhero simply because mm-hmm. the tone is so different than something right. like John Wick. So, so yeah. I mean, if on paper, John Wick and Jason Bourne are very similar. But yeah. watching the movies, you get a different feel from it. So you know it when you see it. Definitely. I definitely uh, believe in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, even though we talk about superhero movies on this show, um, I kind of think I kind of feel like saying that there's a superhero genre is, is kind of a misnomer. So I'm kind of going against the thesis of this show when I say that. But because it is more of just kind of a 
it's more of like a like a ideal costume that yeah it's more like a concept or or a concept you put on other genres and i think that's one of the things that i love about a lot of the marvel movies is that they find different genres to use with the superhero concept and to make it a little bit more interesting so ant-man's not just a superhero movie it's a heist film with a superhero um you know, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is, you know, is space opera with superheroes and so on and so forth. Absolutely. And I think that's the appeal of the MCU is that they are not kind of have their eyes set on one thing. They allow themselves to breathe and then still allow themselves to come back. I remember in the early days of the MCU, there were big questions. It's kind of ridiculous now to think of it, but they said, how is Iron Man a science fiction character going to be in the same universe as Thor, a magical character. And as a comic book fan, we're like, they just are like, what are you talking about? They just like the, for, for people that aren't in that world to think that both of these things, somebody that's completely magical and somebody that works with tech can both be superheroes existing at the same time. I mean, for us, it's a no brainer, but for everybody else, it might be, it was hard to fathom in the beginning. Yeah, uh, so you being having involvement in in uh, screenwriting and stuff, you probably read uh, Save the Cat, right, by Blake Snyder. I did, I did not. No. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, well, big, uh, big screenwriting book. Um, but but one of the things that I that I always found funny about that book, and it's a good book about structure and everything. But there's one thing that really kind of made me roll my eyes. And he was talking about this idea of you can't have two unbelievable things in the same movie. He's, and he used Spider, the first Spider-Man movie as an example. He's like, you have Spider-Man, Peter Parker gets his powers from a, uh, this genetically altered spider. And then the Green Goblin gets his powers from something completely different. He's like, and that breaks the story world. I'm like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it's very weird. It's a very, very weird thing to say. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really bizarre. And it just it almost took me out. I almost put the book down <laughs> based on that one aspect. <laughs> it depends on the universe that you're playing in, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. believability stretches to to whatever universe you're playing in. I, I hate to come back to John Wick because I literally have it paused on the TV in front of me. But the most absurd things happen in this movie. But I buy into it because they set the tone directly from the beginning that these unbelievable things will happen. You know, right. I'm not they, they ground the universe in a level of fantasy that I'm able to accept all this ridiculous stuff. Yeah. So yeah, superheroes is just like that. At, at some point, you have to accept ridiculous things will happen. This man is shooting organic webs from the middle of his wrists. Yeah, weird things are going to happen. I can I yeah, have a little lenience yeah. in the story. Yeah. So, and I think I think studios now are finally disabusing themselves of that notion because you saw the what the MCU did, and it wasn't such a big. You, you saw they're kind of like couching it in like you know safe terms at first in the first Thor movie when he's like he's like oh well you call it uh, you call it science but my people call it magic and it's just like it, it's a, it, it it's that whole it's that whole idea of science uh magic is just science that hasn't been discovered yet or something like that and and so they're trying to couch it in that and then you get to um dr strange and multiverse of madness and he's whipping out and he's summoning you know demons from other dimensions and shit like that and uh and the arrowverse stuff too right it started off very very grounded with arrow and then after then first they're like we're we're not a superhero show he he's the hooded vigilante he wears grease paint <laughs> over his eyes we're serious this is serious grounded stuff and the next thing it's like e- so 
Black Canary's here. She's got a sonic weapon, and there's the League of Assassins out there. And then <laughs> third season's like, fuck it. We got the Flash. We got there's metahumans. It, 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 there are multiverses. Everything's fine. <laughs> well, you know what? I do think that there is a line. I love the Flash. I loved mm-hmm. it from the beginning. I continue to watch it in its final season. But at some point, it reached the level of BS science that it just, mm-hmm. it just. It blew my mind, like what they were trying to justify. Oh, it's it's negative energy from the from the sun revolving around the a gravity flare. Like there's only so much that I can accept of you just throwing out random terms to explain what's happening in the story. So I do think that there's a that there is a line at some point that you can cross. Mm. Like John Wick, um, if John Wick jumps off of the the Statue of Liberty. And a zeppelin comes in and he drops on top of it. Like, yeah, I, okay, all right, you're getting you're getting too much out there. For me, when when Flash crossed the line for me it was not so much with um, the 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 sciencey stuff of it, but it was just everybody became a superhero, and that was, I think, the part where where it pushed it too far for me. Everybody's um, got power. Everybody's a meta. Yeah. Everybody's got powers. Everybody, everybody's a meta. Everybody's got powers, and then and the supporting cast just ballooned to the point where. Their whole epi- it was. Just, I haven't watched the latest season yet. Um, I'm just gonna wait until it all comes out. On, uh, but when uh, when they when they got rid of like Cisco and, and 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 Wells and all them, and then it was just, and then we had whole episodes dealing with like Chester and Allegra, and I'm just like, I do not care about any of these characters. <laughs> and I'm just, and, I, and it was a slog to get through those season seven and eight for those reasons. Uh, but anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Today, we're here to talk about uh, Zebra Man. This is a uh, 2004 movie directed by... Uh, it's a Japanese movie. It's directed by one of my favorite uh, directors, Takashi Miike. Um, and when you uh, asked me about you know coming on the show, i given you a list of movie superhero movies I own, and we're kind of going back and forth about what you'd be interested in. And then you saw, then you saw Zebra, you're like, what's that? I've never heard of this. And I'm like, well, <laughs> take a look, see what you think. And, and then you're like, okay, yeah, let's do this. I want to do this one. All right. So, so, um, so obviously you have no history of this other than, you know, us emailing. Other, back and other forth. than I saw a movie called Zebra Man and it piqued my interest. That, mm-hmm. that was, that was it. And you know what? I love just, I love trying different things. So mm-hmm. I, I, it doesn't matter if it's a good movie, bad movie. I tried it and absorbed it. And so I had no problem giving anything a shot. So what did you think of Zebra Man? I I had a good time with it. I thought it was a little bit long. I thought they could mm. have cut it simply because of the tone. There's only so much of the wackiness of that you can take in one sitting, especially when it's subtitled and it's not your, your natural language. Mm. But <clears throat> growing up uh, on Power Rangers... Growing up in uh, American soup, it was a mashup of like Power Rangers, American superhero culture, and more. Most importantly, American adoption of Japanese culture. I thought it talked mm. about a lot. My favorite part of the movie. Uh, can we jump into like spoilers and everything that? Yeah, yeah. Go happened? right ahead. Go for it. Go right ahead. My favorite part of the movie was early on. He's watching. I don't know what he's watching, but it's kind of like a Power Rangers esque show. And the villain of the the episode is the girl from the ring. Mm. <laughs> it was like I was just at that. It was. I'm glad that happened early on because it informed me about what this movie was. I was like, okay, this is what I'm getting into. I can accept this. And they turned the girl from the ring and like 
into a Power Rangers villain. And it was just, mm-hmm. it was absolutely hilarious. And I loved the, the way they handled that. And I was like, okay, I'm on board. I know where you're going and I'm on board for where you're, um, we're going. Let's, let's head to that destination, baby. And it, di- it didn't disappoint. Yeah. Uh, this movie is actually coming kind of at a, at a weird confluence of events for me. So I had, uh, we, we just done a Power Rangers, ep- an episode on the 2017 Power Rangers movie. Uh, it came out just on the, Did you like it? I haven't seen it yet. Um, I'm mixed on it. Mostly I like it. It's, although I got some issues with the, I think the, the character stuff I thought was the best part about it, but when it got to the Power Rangers stuff, it it got a little bit too Zack Snydery, and it kind of like tried to take itself a little bit too seriously. Um, it didn't really it got really away from the to... traditional Power Rangers tone. Yeah, 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 and and I'm okay with taking a bit more of a serious approach to the topic, but I think you gotta you gotta remember that there's there's a Power Rangers Super Sentai. It, it's camp. It's pure camp, and I think you it's have the, to. Well, have, it's, it's, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and you have to. I think you have to honor that in a way and the movie didn't do it and everything was just very dark and when you've got the power rangers you know they, they should be bright and colorful so and when they had the zord fight it's i could not figure out what the hell those zords were supposed to be <laughs> because they were just so the the design was just so ugly but My... we'll say that the the best thing about it and the only person in the movie who i think really got the assignment was elizabeth banks as rita like she camped the hell out of that thing well she wasn't she rita in the the re, the re, um the reboot or whatever the the live action movie that they had that's that's what i'm talking about the 2017 movie yeah oh i was talking okay there you go oh, i you thought, thought you meant the, the new one the oh new the one. once and always special yeah Oh, no, uh, that was very campy. That was very much keeping in tone with the with the Power Rangers show. Yeah, I saw that, too. That was that was fun. That was fun. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen that. My kids asked about it, so I wish to jump on. But the, the reboot, I mean, yes, I do agree. They took the camp right out of it, and they tried to give it a much grounder tone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I liked it. I, 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 right from the beginning, I accepted that that's what they were going to do. So it didn't mm-hmm. really bother me all that much. But um, I do understand if if traditional hardcore fans did not did not appreciate that they did that. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I enjoyed it for the most part, and I enjoyed the character stuff and the interaction with the with the five kids more than anything else in the movie. I thought that was the the strongest part of it. And, and um, but when it got to the Power Ranger stuff, you know, Brian Cranston did a great job, um, and too, I thought he was good in it, but. But other than that, it took itself a little bit too seriously for it. And, um, I, I, I get it. I, get, I, yeah. I can definitely dig that. I felt it was like they tried to do a Transformers version of Power Rangers. You know, like the Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michael Bay that was movie. that was very much. We had uh, Derek Jason, Corinne Levy from uh, Comically Pedantic on. We had all come to that same conclusion. Also with a bit of Zack Snyder. Um uh, another um, another guest on the show, Mark Buskett, he wrote in his letterbox review that Zack Snyder's Breakfast Club Power Rangers is a va- is an odd movie. <laughs> I think that's the perfect <laughs> way to sum it up. It's a good way. It's a good way. But back to Zebra Man. Back to Zebra Man. Yeah. So um, so that we I just watched Power Rangers for that. I had watched the the Once and Always special. Um, frequent guest on the show, Anthony Desiato. He does a Power Rangers podcast, uh, summoning the Zords. And I had just appeared. On I know, that. I know Anthony. Anthony lives. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, yeah. So I was on summoning the Zords to talk about Super Sentai. So I had just watched a whole bunch of episodes of that. Uh, rewatched some Power Rangers as well, and and then 
coincidentally, too, at this same time, I had uh, restarted my Japan on Film podcast where I talk about Japanese movies. And um, one of the movies we watched was a Takashi Miike family friendly movie, which was about like, you know, called the Great Yokai War. So I'm back into the the mode of watching Miike and kind of like his themes and everything. So when you suggested this movie and I'm watching it last night, I'm like, this is actually like the perfect time for me to go back and rewatch this movie because a lot of things really kind of clicked into place for me when I was watching it this time around. Um, and I'd first seen it. I don't think I've seen it since I came to Japan. Uh, I first bought it like way back on DVD in the States and I watched it then. And at the time, my thought of it was just kind of like, yeah, it's okay, but it's not his best work. Like this is the guy who made movies like audition and, um, uh, uh, was it 13 assassins? And, and so all these like really, you know, really violent, really epic movies that he he's made in the past. And then to, to go from that to those to this, it was a little bit of a letdown at first, but now rewatching it again, I kind of gained a new appreciation for it. You you were approaching this movie from a completely different place than I am. <laughs> so that and that's one of the things I love about stories. So I talk about a lot that you have the five building blocks of storytelling that are like character, theme, tone, setting, things that are objective, you know. But there's a sixth building block, which is subjective, which is you can't control the audience that watches your movie, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the director. I don't know anything about it. I'm coming in completely blind. Whereas you're coming in as a rewatch that you're living in the country that takes place in for a while. Mm. You, you've already seen it. You, you know, the director. So you have such a different headspace going into the film. And so us talking about it is just kind of like why I like storytelling and Mm -hmm. talking with about it because we're both conversing over the same work of art from two completely different places yeah absolutely and and rewatching it again and now being steeped a little bit more have a little having a little bit more i'm not i'm not going to say i'm an expert on tokusatsu but having more of a solid grounding in it now after watching several episodes of of super sentai maybe kind of understand what he's doing um and and just kind of like and i saw a review on letterbox that really kind of made this movie crystallize what this movie is about. Uh, and, and this reviewer had said that there are two movies in here and one of them's good and one of them's bad. And he said the first half of the movie, it, and he said the first half of the movie is really good because it's all about how, you know, it's this, this, it's about this teacher who's neglecting his family. He's a bad dad and all that. He's a bad teacher. And he, and it's because he's so focused on this escapism. He's it's like the dark side of nerd, nerd culture is what he was kind of describing it as. And he's like, and then the second half of the movie completely betrays that. And I was thinking about that. And, um, you being a comic book fan, um, uh, probably you're, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of Grant Morrison. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not, uh, I'm not a huge Grant Morrison fan, but I'm aware so in uh, his book, in his book Super Gods, Grant Morrison talked about growing up in Scotland, how his parents were um, were were part of were activists, and he's talking about the fear of the nuclear bomb. And then he said that Superman was kind of like the the way, like the the protector against the nuclear bomb, right? He's like he's like we don't have to fear the nuclear bomb because we have Superman. And it was kind of like how he reassured himself as a kid. And the way I I kind of looked at this came away from this movie is the fact that he's 
he's hiding this aspect of of his identity, right? He's hiding this aspect of him being a fan of this, you know, this kishy, campy, you know, low budget superhero thing. And then in the second half of the movie, he really kind of embraces it. And that ends up being kind of like the key he needs to to kind of advance in his life. So I thought it was more about, um, you know, keeping that love of stuff alive from from your childhood and like, you know, being able to enjoy things as you did as a child is kind of what I was thinking of when I was after I'd read that review. I don't know. What were some I, thoughts that, of you had? I would agree, more agree with you. Uh, the reason I mean, the whole point of telling a story is that the characters in the beginning go through an evolution and they wind up in a different place at the end. I mean, that's kind of the point. Mm -hmm. So the fact that the first half is a different movie than the second half is what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be something that's a little sad, a little depressing, a little character heavy. And then we see it just goes completely bonkers, which is fun on a tonal level. But at the same time, it allows this character to embrace the ridiculousness, you know, Mm -hmm. and he really he evolves and he becomes a hero from what he was before. And that's kind of the whole journey of the movie. And if you you don't get that, that's fine. You're allowed mm-hmm. to not to get a movie and understand it and like it. But I think that's kind of what the, that reviewer was complaining about. For me, that's part of the charm. I think so, too. Yeah. And I... Um... And there's a whole lot of stuff dealing with, um, you know, Japanese. I saw a lot of the tokusatsu stuff that I picked up on this time compared to last time because the whole aspect of like the the transforming and all that. So, you know, yeah, that that's one of the big differences from the Japanese superheroes versus American superheroes is there's that whole transformation. They literally become someone different. It's not like in um, in American superhero comics where all they do is they just they put on a costume and then they become a superhero. This, it's something that they actually have to go through a process uh, of change. So I thought that was also um, worked into it as well. One of my favorite points of the movie, and this goes back to the person, the reviewer that said it's two different movies. You can actually pinpoint an exact moment that this movie transitions. And that's mm-hmm. during the fight in the alley. He's just some guy in a, van- a costume trying to stop a crime and the guy throws i forget what it is but he throws like some weapon at zebra man mm. and zebra man jumps up and does like a backflip to avoid it and he realizes i just did like a superhero move <laughs> like i just i have powers and it was just it was the the look on his face really told you that okay this movie's different than what's been going on before you know whatever yeah. happened before with this guy he's depressed his life kind of stinks. He's not happy. He's dressing up as a superhero. This is going to transform into some sort of science fiction adventure. And yeah. I, I, so, yeah, I that was the moment that I could say that, like, it's where the two different movies split. Yeah. And I think the fact that he, I mean, the fact that he finds this this kid, right, um, Shinpei, who he, this, um, this, this student who comes into his class and just transferred in and he's been in some accident and he can't walk. And I and thought that that was, I, I didn't really get that thing. It might've been like subtitles and I might've missed something, but why couldn't he walk? I felt like his dad killed himself and then his legs just gave out because of the trauma. Like that was. Yeah. See, um, so I had a, 
I had a mistake when I made when I uh, when I watched this movie last night because um, what I do with my DVD collection is I is I rip all the DVDs to to an external hard drive and I run them off a, a Plex server on a, on a mini PC I have. So that way I've got all because I've got like over a thousand DVDs. This way it's easy to access them all. I can keep them all organized very nicely and I don't have to worry about space constraints with having big DVD cases. Um, when I so you have a digital DVD, DVD library, basically. You basically, yeah, and I, I have this. I have the disc too, but they're like they're kept in like you know, you know these big file things. Yeah, so it's yeah, easy. yeah. And I got rid of the case, the individual cases for them. But when I had ripped this movie and converted it, I had made a mistake. I had accidentally, without realizing it, probably because I was doing a whole bunch of movies at the same time, I had put, I had ripped it with the English dub instead of the Japanese original audio, and. So when I wa- when I went in to watch it last night, it started up with the English dub, and I'm like, oh wait a second, and I tried to go in and change it, and I'm like, oh shit, the Japanese option's not on so, here. So we so we watch two different movies, is what you're telling me. No, no, I'm saying that this is why it's kind of unclear to me as well because I had and I tried to watch it with the English subtitles, and the dub and the subtitles are a little bit different. So there's obviously some some so stuff you watch that's the, not quite you translated. Watch the English dub and the English subtitles at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and the English subtitles did not match the English dub exactly. Like there are some discrepancies between them. And so yeah, and I'm watching it and I wasn't exactly clear on what was happening um with <laughs> uh with uh Shimpei's injury as well. I couldn't quite figure that out either. And I thought it was a mental thing. Like he couldn't walk because he was just traumatized by his father's death or something. Yeah, I think that's kind of what they were going for, which is a weird choice. But, you know, it's in a movie like this, it's not the weirdest thing. So we can go with it. You know what? I that's that's very interesting that like from a storytelling aspect, that's like pretty dumb. But the Mm -hmm. fact that everything else in the movie is so weird, you overlook it. You know, right. It's like it just it doesn't make any sense, but it's kind of like we're going to do it anyway because nothing else makes sense. In this movie. So they just got accepted it and moved on. Yeah. I mean, if it was something like in, um, you know, in the movie Scrooged, where the little boy sees his sees his father killed and then he he's not able to speak after that, you know, because of the psychological that that would make sense. Like having it be, you know, affecting how he can walk. Does it, a phys- I don't know a physical that paralysis. Yeah. yeah That's my favorite know. Christmas movie, by the way. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing one, yeah. Um, but uh, and but what I think was interesting about that is the fact that his um, uh, Shinichi's life, his whole his whole personal life is a total mess, right? He's he's a loser at work. Nobody nobody likes him. Nobody um, put nobody really has any time for him. Um, his son's getting beat up because he's such a loser at work. He teaches at his son's school. You know, his daughter's running around with older guys. His wife is stepping out on him and cheating on him. And and he's just kind of like, you know, isolating himself and just like kind of living out his fantasies when he thinks nobody's around. He puts on the zebra man costume and he does all these weird moves. But it's when he and he's trying to hide this, right? He's always doing all these zebra man drawings and stuff when he's at work and stuff. He's always looking around, seeing if anybody can see. And then one day in school, he sees uh Shinpei drawing zebra man as well and then he starts talking with him about zebra man and and Shinpei's like oh my god you know zebra man you're so cool and he's like whoa someone thinks it's cool that i like this <laughs> and that gives him the cuz there's that earlier scene when he's when he's wearing the costume and he's looking out the window and he sees the drink machine and he's like i'm going to go out and get a drink in the costume and he's like wait maybe i shouldn't 
and he's like he's like trying to question questioning whether or not he should he should step out in public and let people see him for what he is and then when he talks to Shinpei and he, he decides I'm going to go surprise him in costume as Zebra Man and he walks out and and it's this funny scene where he's he's walking around outside and he keeps trying to hide himself whenever he sees someone walking by where at one point there's there's someone who walks by and he just turns his back to them even though he's still in the costume it's very bizarre but i uh i definitely love it it was it was it was just fun to see a guy trying to to change something without mm-hmm. knowing how or why you know yeah. he was but uh, I, I did think that that part of the movie was a little weird. That Shinpei was a was basically a child that helped him evolve and grow, but it wasn't his son. Mm. And I thought that relationship was a little weird. The fact that he's got like a friendship with a with a boy from school, and he's like he didn't neglect his son, but his son wasn't that character, which I thought yeah. was. In a, a traditional screen telling sense, that's who you would assign the that character to. I think that's an aspect of. I think that's a more Japanese specific to, thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think okay. that's something more specific to that because teachers are very heavily involved in their students' lives in Japan, for one thing. So, um, so it, it's not that unusual to see that kind of relationship develop. Um, and the fact that he's been a bad teacher, but then he finds this connection with this kid who. Also, disability rights in Japan is a huge issue. Like, there, it, it Japan is terrible on disability rights, so um, that's another th- aspect as well. I think plays into it. Like, the, and the relationship that develops between uh, Shinichi and, and uh, Shinpei's mother as well ties into that. So it's this because there's a lot of there are a lot of families in Japan. They're only families more out of circumstance or out of convenience, like marriages of convenience and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. as opposed to marriages of based out of love or, it, and it was there's a that weird aspect of the story mm. that like, he's, he's kind of sort of got a thing for the mom of the son mm. that he's like mentoring, which in an American film, it might've been like, this doesn't belong in this movie, you know? Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like, it, it felt a little out of place. I didn't not appreciate it. I thought it added a new dynamic to the story, but it just felt, from an American standpoint, it was like, if this was an American movie, that wouldn't be a part of it. They would definitely take that out. 100%. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And it, it's been a lot, like, it's been like 15 years since I first saw this movie. So I can't remember what I thought about it at the time and that relationship, but just my vague memories i think i would have agreed with you back then and um but having been in japan for so long knowing understanding a little bit more about family dynamics in japan i think i understand that aspect of it a little bit more and i'm still not completely sold on it i think it still would have been made more sense if it had been the son but i can also i can i I can kind of see where mike was trying to go with that another question i have from you from a cultural standpoint is the, the the special effects and CGI because mm-hmm. it, it, number one, how old is this movie? Fifteen years it, old, almost twenty years, years old. old. It came out in two thousand four. Almost twenty years old. I can't tell if the CGI is purposely campy or if um, it was just something of the time. You know, it was like the best CGI that they could offer the mm-hmm. time. Because I do watch movies that come out now, and they're like. 
whatever CGI we can afford, we're just going to throw in there and run with it. And sometimes it looks terrible. And that's the point, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't look all that great. And, and the, the producers are fine with it. I didn't know from this, from uh, a cultural standpoint and from a uh, time standpoint, whether or not the, the graphics and the special effects and the CGI was like that on purpose. So I think it's both. I think it's both because, um, First off, you're right. Like they, Japanese movies do not have anywhere close to the budget as American superhero movies do. So, you know, you know, like I mean, the the budget on Zebra Man probably wouldn't cover the catering on a Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that like it, that they're just like the budgets are completely out of whack. So one thing is this is probably the best they could afford. Um, but another p- thing too, and this is where having watched the Great Yokai War comes into it as well for me because. In that movie, it had this this weird mix of practical effects and CGI, and he Mike chose a very interesting thing. Like all the all the yokai, because the basic gist of that movie it's it's yokai versus man made machines and, and machine and um and the yokai are the characters you're the good guys you're siding with, like the spirit realms, the old characters from mythology, all that. Those are almost universally done with um, practical effects, and they look great. And the machines are almost universally done with bad CGI. And it looks terrible. And kind of like the way I read that movie was, I didn't think it was an accident that Mike was relying so much on bad CGI for the for the evil characters, for the cold, emotionless machines, versus the, the yokai that were done with, with a lot of care to with these practical effects. And Mike has used a lot of practical effects in his movies, especially at that time. So... I think in that movie, it was done to kind of show the contrast. In this movie, I think it's, again, it's, this movie is very much, at one point, in one part, it is a satire of, like, the tokusatsu stuff, but at the same time, it's also kind of a love letter to it, so I think he was really just trying to play up into the whole, it's campy, it's ridiculous, it looks stupid, but we have fun with it anyway. I I love that explanation, that, like, something can be, can honor something and make fun of it, at the mm-hmm. same time. And that's what this was. And I I just that I think that's what drew me to it. And I do see that in this film because if you look at Zebra Man himself as a costume, first it's very uh like homemade cosplay kind of looking. Yeah. And then he gets powered up and he looks awesome. But it's a practical costume, you know, it's right. it's it's a real suit. He's not like wearing some weird thing that Iron Man has when they CGI it afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, and then, but he's fighting weird blob monsters that are put in in post-production. So it definitely yeah. aligns with that. And uh, spoiler for the complete end of the film that I absolutely loved when he transforms into an actual Pegasus, Pegasus zebra <laughs> and then cuts yeah. a Z into the middle of the guy's head like like Zorro. Mm-hmm. I was like, that, that reached the peak of campiness for me. And it was like this put the perfect capstone on this movie. It was just so – it was complete CGI ridiculousness. And it would just – it made everything that came before worthwhile. So Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that part as well, especially the reactions from some of the – like, what the hell? Even they're like, what the hell is happening in this moment? <laughs> there's, yeah, there's a lot going on here. And there's a lot to absorb. And I feel like, like if I asked my wife to watch this with me, she would be like, 
you are insane for making me watch <laughs> but i'm like you don't understand you're not coming to this movie with the same appreciation of uh japanese horror or power rangers mm. or superhero action that i am so i'm a different person than you so i understand what he's trying to do mixing yeah. all of these things in a bowl and just grinding them up and throwing them into a, a story so yeah, it's it's definitely made for a particular audience. Well, I mean, to that point, like my wife's Japanese, and when we start, when I started watching this movie, and and because I, you know, I told her I had to watch a movie for the podcast. She's like, "What do you have to watch?" I'm like, "Zebra Man," and she's like, "Zebra Man," and she's like, "Are you serious? That movie?" And I'm just like, "What?" She's like, "It's terrible." I'm like, "Have you ever seen it?" And she's like, "No, it just looks terrible." And I'm like, "Okay, well, I'm an, I have to watch it." So, so I put it on and. At one, and she's just sitting there, and she's just kind of sitting there, and she's not saying anything. And at one point, she had to, um, she had to do something with our daughter, and she's like, "Pause it." I'm like, "Wait, wait pause it?" <laughs> she's like, "Yeah, I pause it." <laughs> now she ended I up love... going to, she ended up going to bed with my daughter early, so she didn't watch the whole thing. But uh, she was, she was starting to get into it a little bit. And I think that's that's that cultural aspect you're talking about, right? Because she has a little bit more cultural familiarity with some of the stuff that's going on. Plus, I've kind of indoctrinated her into superhero movies. So she was able to appreciate a little bit more, probably, than, than your wife is able to. I um, Is that your son you're holding? Yeah, yeah. I, I love how you were. he was just making a fuss during the beginning, and now you picked him up, and he's out. He's just... Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all he wanted. He just every wanted time, every time. And as soon as I put him down, he's going to wake up again. <laughs> um, I think... Yes. I mean, I don't know how my wife would react. She doesn't have that same cultural aspect of it besides the Japanese factor, all the other stuff that's going on. Um, but the, at the heart of the film, and I think this is at the heart of storytelling in general, it's a really sweet character journey, you know, mm -hmm. just from beginning to end, seeing him come into his own and finally accepting who he is as this hero as this mm -hmm. superhero with powers like that was kind of the whole thing right i can't fly i can't beat him because i right. can't fly and he finally and he flew in the end it was just it, it's just a nice journey a nice evolution for that character so i mean maybe maybe possibly if my wife looks mm -hmm. past all that other stuff <laughs> he, she could see that core of the story of seeing a guy finally reach his potential and well, yeah i, I mean special Absolutely. And there and there are definite flaws with this movie. I mean, you mentioned the runtime. I think you're absolutely right. I think it does it is it does drag a little bit. It's got a bit of and that happens a lot with some of Mike's movies I found. Like some of them are some of them are very tight. But this one I think it does drag a little bit on. It there's a little bit of padding in here that I think you could have you could have trimmed a little bit around the edges and you wouldn't have lost anything with it. Um for example, like the whole the whole subplot with the daughter and also, just a side yeah. note the the uh, the crab man she's dating uh, Kitahara is played by Akira Emoto, who is a amazing Japanese actor, <laughs> and he usually does like these. He does like a lot of like serious dramas and stuff like that. So seeing him in this movie was a real treat. That I love doing that with my kids. I'm I've been showing them older movies that I grew up with, and sometimes really serious dramatic actors show up in these weird roles. And then that's their first experience with them. And I'm like, you don't understand. Mm -hmm. This guy is amazing. This this idiot that he's playing right now, that's not who he is. So just don't. It's very funny. But I I, I, I don't know any of these guys. Uh, it was just, it was a funny thing I noticed too. Um, 
Also, uh, the the actress who plays the daughter, she was from the Grudge movies, the the Japanese versions of them. So I thought oh. that was also who a nice. Who was she? Little... Was she the uh, the ghost, or was she like one of the people um, being haunted? I can't remember. I think she may have been the because just as I can't remember the character's name because it's been so long since I've seen the Juon movies. Uh, I have to do a little bit more research and, and just double check, but um, I think she was the main character in it. I'm not can't remember exactly though. So one of the things about this movie that's that I love and I love this aspect is because a lot of movies when they're talking about time travel, right, or prophecy, mm. talk a lot about the philosophy of what prophecy means. As like, if I give you a prophecy, is it going to affect? how you, what you're going to do. If you know what your future is, is it going to affect your choices? Right, right, the whole self-fulfilling prophecy aspect. Exactly. And this is huge in that the reason he emulates Zebraman is because he saw the Zebraman show. Mm. And the reason he made the Zebraman show, the principal, is because of a prophecy. So it's kind of like if he never made the show... Was he going to become Zebra Man in the first place? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's that's an enormous aspect of the show, but it's never explored or touched upon. Yeah, and I think that's what a, a touchstone of a great story is that there's just so much stu- subtext that when you start peeling back the layers, you you just get deeper and deeper into the story and see more and more that makes you love about it. Yeah. Well, also the. The the point, and this is what I wanted to bring up with the the crab man is I felt like that whole subplot with um, Midori dating this older guy. I, I couldn't. I felt like there was that wasn't really necessary to the story. I felt like we could have. There's something there. There's something to talk about in a Japanese societal way about the fact that you've got this young girl running around with this older guy, you know, and there's probably a, there's it's probably a financial uh, arrangement there. There's a, that's a that's an absolute thing that happens here. That's a it's a big issue, and it is something that's worth talking about. But I don't think it's really addressed in any sort of meaningful way. I I'm, I'm I apologize for cutting you off, but I thought, and I might have been wrong in this because I I might have got the characters confused. But in the very end, his daughter is in the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. And when he's going to town hall, she sees him. Is she sort of like attracted to Zebra Man? Or is that the friend? No, that's her mother. That's her mother who's attracted to him. Oh, the and, mother's attracted. Yeah, to him. yeah, and then and then she's the one who says, "Doesn't he kind of look like dad?" And she's like, "No, of course not." <laughs> so I could I completely misread that, but um, but yes, it, it did seem like he, she had a scene with it was just her and the elderly boyfriend in bed rolling around, which right. you could have cut that out. There was no point of that. Or yeah. you could have at least trimmed it down to something a little bit more uh, tighter. And and yes, I think comedies in general need to be tighter because they don't have that character drama that needs the fleshing out that other films do need. So mm-hmm. that that's really my only criticism. Uh, other than that, I enjoy it. Was you know what it felt like? It felt like a stew, where a stew mm-hmm. is just. A bunch of different things thrown in, you're mixing it around, and you're gonna come up with something brand new that people can appreciate. No, I think that's a I think that's a good way of, of looking at it because and it's it's one of those things where you throw all this stuff in, you're not sure if how it's gonna come out, right? It could taste amazing, 
it could taste like dog shit. <laughs> and this one, uh, I think this does a, I enjoy this a lot more than I don't. It's, uh, it's a lot more, um, entertaining and I get a lot more out of it than I did when I first watched it. And I think this is a, this is the kind of movie I think you can appreciate more if you have a little bit more familiarity with the, the super Sentai stuff. And, you know, going back to what you said about satire being, you know, how one thing can, how it can be a satire, but at the same time be appreciative of it. I think in some ways, a lot of the best satires are, I mean, you think about, for example, the scream movies, right? The, especially that first one, it's clear Wes Craven loves horror movies. Obviously his whole career was built on horror movies. Scream works. It screams a total satire of the horror genre. It makes fun of the tropes of it, but there's a clear love of the genre too. And you compare it to something like the, you know, like the, remember when they were doing the nonstop, you know, insert genre here movies parody, and they're just all terrible. And I think it's because they, they forgot that you're supposed to actually care about the stuff that you're parodying. You can't just mock it and just, and, and just not have that love for it. I definitely agree. I'm a huge fan of Scream. Um, this, I think <clears> that I've had a weird relationship with Scream lately because uh, my kids watch YouTube. So they were, my kids get introduced to modern movies through advertisements, watching kid videos on YouTube. So my daughter's mm. a huge horror fan. I know we're going off on a tangent here, but she came no to problem. me and said, I watched this, these commercials for this Scream movie. I want to watch Scream. <laughs> and I'm like, if you want to watch Scream 6, we're going to start with Scream 1. And she mm. said, fine. <laughs> and so we watched them all. We went to the theater and watched it together. It's now her favorite franchise. But she – and now we're watching Scream Queens. Are you familiar with that show? I, I know of it, but I haven't actually seen it yet. So it's it's horror, but it's it's so campy that it comes into the realm of comedy more so than Scream. Mm-hmm. And and she's watching it, and because she's gone through Scream and she loves all of those that tropes, it's given her appreciation for Scream Queens, which a lot of the the tropes are turned into a, a completely comedic realm, and she understands mm-hmm. it. So so yeah, I I get it, and I love that um, I'm able to teach a new generation to love a genre and then to love poking fun of a genre. You know, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, it, it really makes you a, a fan when you're able to be happy when people want to tear apart something you love. That's what, that's a weird way to put it, but it, it it's definitely true. No, I get it. And, you know, I mean, these, in the superhero genre, there's a lot of stuff that's, there's a baked in ridiculousness to the concept. There is it, a lot to make fun of. Yeah. There is there's a, a lot to make fun of. You know why? Because the, the superhero genre started campy and ridiculous it didn't get there that's how it was to begin with and right. then it became serious so now it's coming for a circle is that people are making camp out of the seriousness that was made out of the campiness it's right. it's, it's truly bizarre but i think only superhero lovers and aficionados of the genre can mm-hmm. appreciate well i think that's why something like deadpool works so well right because deadpool's obviously Ryan Reynolds obviously loves the, that character. He obviously loves superhero stuff. You know, the, the writers, directors, obviously they love what they're doing. They love poking, but they, they poke fun of, and it's that whole idea. Like when you're, when you're with your friends, right, you're making fun of your friends, you're teasing each other and everything like that. 
But if someone from outside the group does that, then you're going to have a problem. <laughs> they don't get it. They don't get yeah. it. So, like, I watched – when Deadpool came out, um, I was really busy. I couldn't get to it. But I saw so many great uh, – people that I respect talking highly about it. I'm like, I got to see this. I took off of work. I went to see it for a showing at, like, 1030 by myself. And then halfway through the opening credits, I'm like – I'm going to like this movie. These people know <laughs> what they're doing. I can, I can already tell that this is going to be awesome. And mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed the first movie because it felt like a satire from people who love what they're doing rather right. than a satire that was done because satire is the thing, you know? Right. Yeah. So um, you fans tell. Fans can tell. Mm. That's kind of the bottom line. Well, yeah. And, and too, like you compare it to something like um, – some of the bad superhero movies that have come out, like like Steel is my favorite one to poke fun at. I know Anthony's going to roll his eyes when he hears this part, but um, <laughs> but I mean, I think Steel is is a movie that's made by people who don't like superheroes and who who don't who can't understand. So they either make it really campy or they try and suck all the fun out of it. I think Steel was a a victim of its time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was at the time where people saw potential in superhero movies and and properties. But they didn't quite understand them. Yeah, yeah. So, so they decided, hey, Steel, this is a chance to make our superhero movie. And right. they, they, they had an idea of what a superhero movie was, but they didn't really understand why it was that way. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, then, yeah. and fans can tell. It's hard to, again, it's one of those things. It's hard to define, but you just know it when you see it. You exactly. Know? Yeah, yeah. Um. Any other things you wanted to mention about Zebra Man? I think those are the, kind of the big points I'd wanted to hit on. The big points that I would want to hit on? No, I said those are the, the what we've talked about. It's kind of like the big points I had wanted to hit on. Uh, how about you? Is there anything else you wanted to mention about it? Uh, no. I mean, I, I, it's different. I dug it. I dug it because I appreciate the genre and all of the little aspects of the genre. I think if you're for lack of a better term, a normie, you, mm-hmm. or at least an American normie, you might um, get get bored with it or not quite understand it. But there was a lot in there for for me as a geek, as a fan, to appreciate and enjoy. There's also a sequel to this. Um, well, actually, kind of I, two sequels. Uh, so it's Zebra Man Two. I was looking that up. I was kind of Wikipediaing it, but I would love to hear your explanation because so it, I, it, there's I, a lot of information. Yeah, I haven't seen it actually, but it is it is direct. When I first heard that there was a sequel, I'm like, oh, okay. But there was also a sequel to One Missed Call, which Mike also directed, um, but he wasn't involved with the sequels. And so I thought, I'm like, oh, so there's a Zebra Man 2. I bet Mike wasn't involved. But no, he directed this one too. So I am curious to see it. Apparently, though, it, um, it was... Uh, yeah, it wasn't uh, well-received in Japan. And a big reason was because there was a theme of a religious war and the antagonist yeah and the antagonists were portrayed as kind of analogous to the happy science movement in japan which is this whole other thing there so there's a lot of cultural stuff to get into with that tell me is that like a real thing because i read that and i actually went into a deep dive i'm like this is like the Scientology of Japan. I need to read it more about it. It basically is. Yeah, yeah. It, it basically is. Like, they've got their own... I think it's... um, Yeah, they've got their own... um, 
their own political party and everything. It's it, it's it's fucking bonkers. Uh, there's a lot of like cult type stuff in Japan. So even though they say Japan is not really religious, there's still that issue with it. Um, so I am curious to to get into it from that aspect of it. Uh, and also there was a um, direct to video tie in too called um, Vengeful Zebra Miniskirt Police. Uh, which was used to promote the the release, and it's set one year before the movie, and it focuses on the characters in the movie called the Zebra Miniskirt Police. So I've got to track both of these two down. <laughs> I didn't even. I even the second one. I'm completely shocked that you found out about that. But if you do find find it, um, I would be interested. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, uh, it wasn't. That, so I found. I had Zebra Man on Amazon. Uh, I should say Prime Video. They did not have Zebraman too. So, okay, yeah. So um, I probably have to hit up the video store to see about that, uh, which we still have here, which is nice. Uh, um, <laughs> the other thing, final thing I'd say is if if this is your first introduction to Takashi Miike, the guy is an amazing workhorse of a director, and he's done tons of stuff but in all genres. Thirteen Assassins sounds like something like I. I, I recognize the name, but I don't think I've seen it. It's 13 the Assassins original. is great. No, no, no. It's the, it's the remake. It, so that came A out remake. in um, like 2010. 20, 2010, yes. Okay. So that's what I was thinking. I got on Peacock. Maybe. I, I don't know. It, Did I see that? I don't know if I've seen it. I saw Ninja Assassin, which I know was directed by the, um, the um, second director from the Matrix films. Oh, really? He did I didn't know that. too. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I did know that. I did know that. Um, but yeah, Takashi Miike, he's done a lot of amazing stuff. He, he's, like I said, he's one of my favorite Japanese directors. And um, Audition is... If you like horror movies, you should definitely check out Audition. It is... You know what? But that's that's me. Because when you look at my all the books that I've written, that I put out, I'm all over the place. I could do something like Zebraman, and I could do something like a complete, utter, personal horror movies. So I would definitely so recommend... Of, yeah, I definitely w- recommend doing a deep dive into Mika then. I think you'll find a lot of stuff uh, of his that you'd, you'd be keen on. One thing I will mention, because uh, he's worked with Sho Aikawa, who plays um, Zebra Man in this, too. He's worked with Mika on a lot of movies. And one of them I definitely have to recommend is a movie called Gozu. It is a fucking bonkers surreal film find it if you can it is it is and and let me know what you think about it it is crazy send me an email just give me your list of recs and i'll okay i'll dump on them i'll i'll be sure to do that i i think some of them i've covered on on japan on film so i'll send you links to the episodes too that we've we've covered on it um but uh but yeah frank this was a lot of fun thank you so much for for coming on to to talk about this movie with me um, there's not that many people I could talk about this movie with, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm glad that, you know what? I like this movie and I have a very narrow circle of like geek friends that appreciate genre stuff. So mm. the fact that you outdid me by actually living in Japan was, <laughs> was very, it was very nice. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is fun. I would say if you're going to watch it, um, it, it might help to do a, uh, a refresher on like some YouTube videos of Power Rangers or Super Sentai to kind of get yourself into that mood again, um, and then dive into this movie. I think that would be the best way you know to, to watch this. I grew up on it. It was like riding a bike. Mm. <laughs> 
once good, once good. once you once you touch that nostalgic nerve, you know, it's just it's just ah. And I was like, it was very cool. And then I was like, wait, second, is that the girl from the ring? Is she is he fighting? <laughs> wait, she's backing up into a well. That is the girl from the ring. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like. Done. I'm sold. I'm I'm signing up. I'm it is funny up. because um, one missed call, which is kind of like his ring esque horror film, which was remake had a god awful remake in the states. But the original Japanese one is pretty cool because it's also <laughs> kind of a satire of the J horror stuff. So he does a really good job with satirizing these Japanese types of concepts. It, what the ring is one of the few exceptions. I liked the American that one. Is, yes. Yeah. I I. I don't know. Like I that I went back and forth on it for a long time, but one of the things I appreciated when I rewatched it and after living in Japan and for so long and and now I teach a class in Japanese movies, I I I've studied Japanese movies for the podcast and I really realized that I'm like, "Oh my god, this is like an actual translation. Literally a translation like getting tra- trying to make take all these stuff that's very key to japan and making it fit in american context with which most of those movies do not do when they remake them so i liked it and i haven't seen it in a in a long time to be able to to do the proper comparison i was doing but the samara character in the japanese version has a diff is a different character than Mm -hmm. the american version she doesn't have the same motivations right and so like that little it was very subtle but that subtle change made me like appreciate her as an american villain so much more than what the japanese version did yeah yeah. so i like the japanese version it was a very good movie it's an interesting i'll send you the link to the the japan on film episode we did when we had compared the american version and the and the japanese version because there's some very interesting cultural comparisons they do um uh, but yeah, check out One Missed Call would probably be the, the Mike film, I'd say. That and Gozo are really interesting because One Missed Call is kind of like a, his satire slash love letter to Japanese horror, kind of like Zebra Man is a satire slash love letter to Tokusatsu. So it's a, it's a nice exercise to go back and, and look at them in that context. Um, but uh, f- until then, Frank, why don't you tell people where they can find your stuff? I'm very simple. Uh, my handle across social media is at Frank the Writer. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, my website is frankthewriter.com. Uh, if you happen to like my writings, the easiest way to keep in, uh, up with me is signing up to my la- mailing list, which is on my website. Again, frankthewriter.com. Okay, great. Thanks so much for, for coming on. And um, we'll have links to that in the show notes. So, guys, you can check that out. As for us, SuperheroCinephiles.com is the website, Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And remember, if you sign up for the Patreon page, you get these episodes a week in advance, no ads. Plus, you also get access to the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club companion show. We're about once a month. We talk about comic books and graphic novels. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. 
on all of this for as little as just a dollar a month. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.